Well, I love God's word and I love being able to steward it. If you weren't here last week, we do not have the message recorded because we lost power. Um, So uh, I'm talking with Dan Kramer about potentially trying to um, re-record that. It was a powerful message, really, really powerful message. And I really want our church to grow. Um, We had people get prayed for for healing. It was just a powerful time. If you missed last week, that's a bummer. But this week is going to be an amazing week as well. God's put a really, really a strong word in my heart that I believe it's for everyone. Someone say everyone. everyone. Not just for a few people, not just for a few people online. It's for everyone. And really what the Lord was speaking to me this week, getting ready for, you know, kids getting back to school, parents getting kids ready back to school, grandparents, maybe you're in charge of getting um, your grandkids back to school or whatever. The Lord really started to bring me back to a foundational verse of, and a passage of scripture, really. And it's interesting because, you know, we're winding down the summer, getting ready for school, getting ready for the fall, all of that sort of stuff. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we, we started, it's probably been like a month now, we started kind of walking through different, kind of picking spots out of a sermon in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Good job. And so we, we were kind of, we were all over the place. You can go back and re-listen to messages. We kind of picked different, the Sermon on the Mount is three, um, three chapters long, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's Jesus preaching one of the most famous sermons recorded in scripture, and it's Jesus sharing about the kingdom. Someone say the kingdom. Come on, someone say the kingdom. Come on, we're, we're here on earth, but we represent as believers a greater kingdom. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And so Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is really Jesus with a crowd of people around him talking about what the kingdom of God is all about. Isn't that a beautiful thing? To know if you're a citizen of heaven, it's good to know about the the kingdom that you're a part of. You're with me. And so Jesus starts really twisting um, a lot of people's theology because they think this way. And Jesus starts saying, this is what my kingdom is. This is what it's about. And it's like an upside down kingdom compared to the earthly kingdom. And so what I want to do today is to get ready for what I believe God's going to do this year for your kids at school. If you don't have kids, if you're single, this message today is for everyone. Someone say everyone. And so I believe God's going to speak to you this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to talk this morning about solid ground. Someone say solid ground. ground. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, Neighbor. are you walking on solid ground? We just came back from the beach a few weeks ago and um, we were on the beach. And you know, if you're on the beach, you realize that the sand sometimes is hard, but then there's most places where it's pretty hard to walk. You know what I'm saying? And we went with a lot of kids this year. You know, we had our little girl, Eva, my brother and sister, Luke and Ella, my older sister, and then she has two little ones now. And so what we carry to the beach is a lot more than what we used to. You with me? Before it was easy. Two launch, you know, two chairs, you know, a couple little things, and you can get up on that beach and be there set up in like five minutes. Now you're talking about like a 45-minute trek into the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, we got umbrellas. You got a whole beach cart. You got this cooler you got to carry. I mean, by the time you get set up, it's like, wow, we just accomplished something on life. You know what I'm saying? Like you got these umbrellas and the cooler. And I mean, you're you're dragging all this stuff. And you realize, man, this sand is not really the most ideal thing to drag all this stuff. But we call it fun. You know what I'm saying? And relaxation. And so you drag all this stuff up. You get it set up. And I'm like, man, I wish they could just pave this part where we got to carry it all and then give us a little spot of sand where we can set up. But anyway, you realize how important solid ground really is. You with me? Like you can realize when you're on some flimsy ground, even sometimes me and my wife, we, um, when we got married, I took her to Costa Rica for a week. And you know what I'm saying? I was like, babe, we're going to do it well. We went to Costa Rica and it was awesome. We had a wonderful time in Costa Rica and we did this bridge that was like 
really, really like one of those bridges you're like, this isn't like approved bridge. You know what I'm saying? They just built it, left it, and then they say it's cool, walk across it, and it's not cool, don't walk across it. But we did. And so you walk across it, it's shaky, the bridge like swings like this, you know what I'm saying? It's almost like a ride where it's about to go upside down. And I remember walking across that thing praying, Lord, you know, we just got married, come on, we want to have some kids, Lord, would you spare our lives, Lord, would you be with, you know what I'm saying? Because this bridge is swinging, and then the guy who's leading you gets like in the middle, and he's like, it's safe, it's safe, and then his foot slips, and I think he did it on purpose. But like, it was like one of those moments you're like this is not safe what are we doing but anyway you get to the other side and you get your you get your foot on solid ground and you realize oh the joy of knowing my feet are firm are you with me like it's a beautiful thing when you realize solid ground is so important and here's where I want to go this morning is as a believer you have to understand spiritually it's so important that you are built on something stronger than you this world and the economy we live in you with me there's a spiritual component to your life And either it's built on solid ground or it's built on the flimsiness of this earth. You with me this morning? Now, really what I want to focus in this morning is is one area. Is I want to focus in if you're a parent this morning. As kids are getting ready to go back to school, as you're parenting, you know, we're in a different season of parenting than other parents in the room. And if you're not a parent, I pray this will really grip you and get you ready for what's ahead in your journey. If you want to be married one day, if you want to have kids, if you're a grandparent and you have grandkids, this, this, I pray this morning will help reiterate some things maybe you've learned over the years, but God's word is so important. And this morning we're going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to be talking about solid ground. And the subtitle is building your house on a firm foundation. Come on. How many of you guys want to have your house on a firm foundation this morning? Come on. Come on. When you were, I mean, you guys, if you own a house, you were hoping the inspector that looked at it, he said, the foundation looks good. You with me? If he said, this thing don't look good and you still buy it, that's on you. You with me? Like, you want to know it's a good foundation. I remember when we bought our house, you know what I'm saying? The inspector does the thing, and he's like, the foundation looks great. And I'm like, cool. And he's like, no, that's not cool. That's a good thing. He's like, because I've seen people buy houses, and a few months in, they're having to move out of that house because it ain't firm. It's moving all around, and doors don't shut anymore because the foundation is a moving. You with me? So a firm foundation is key in life, and it's key in your family. Someone say family. And so I pray this morning we have families that are built on solid ground. And so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I want to pray this morning to believe God's going to speak to us as we open up his word. God, would you come into this moment? You're already here, Father. I believe you were speaking to people even during worship this morning. So God, would you open our hearts to receive from your word? God, I pray we would not receive from me, Father. You would hide me behind you, Father. And let people see Jesus. God, let them understand your word is powerful and active. It's living this morning. And it will speak to every part of our life if we allow it to. So God, take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh to truly hear what you're speaking. And we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people say? Amen. Come on, all God's people say? Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I do have slides this morning. And so um, you can follow along if you don't have your Bibles. But if you do have a Bible, I encourage you, bring it to church. Bring your Bibles. We need, a, we need good, solid words in our life. And I know we use apps and different things. And nothing wrong with that. I, I do a Bible reading plan on my app. But I love a, a, a real, authentic page Bible I can dig into where there's no ding, ding, and tick, ticks on it. You know what I'm saying? It's just all word. No alerts or text messages come through this word. You with me? It's just solid word. All right. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And Luke, you can keep up with me if you want um, while we're going. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we have it 
on the screen. So I'm going to read off the screen this morning so I don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says this. This is Jesus. He is getting ready to conclude the Sermon on the Mount. And this is kind of getting ready to wind down the sermon in Matthew chapter 7. And this is what he says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Someone say wise. Who in here wants to be a wise person this morning? I hope all the hands are lifted, all right? All of us should seek to be wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Someone say solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Someone say bedrock. Or you can say a solid foundation. But verse 26 is a game changer. Watch this. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is what? Foolish. Like a person who builds, on a, on a, builds a house on sand. Is sand a good foundation? No, that, that's a very foolish foundation. You with me? If you try to build your next beach house with a really nice living room and, and kitchen on sand, it's not going to hold up very long. Are you with me? So Jesus said, if you listen to my words, but don't put it into practice, you're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. When the rains and the floods come, the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty what? Crash. In verse 28 and 29, our final two verses, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Someone say amazed. amazed. So the crowd standing by as Jesus is concluding, getting ready to conclude the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He concludes with, I mean, the most important part of everything because he's saying, look, I just taught you for a while, but it's what you do with my teachings that's going to matter. Are you with me? You can hear me teach the greatest sermon ever. You can hear me preach the greatest word ever, but it's not about hearing it. It's about being doers of it. You with me? So the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of religious law. So the crowds realized, man, this, this, this Jesus, he's serious. He teaches with authority from a kingdom, not just with words, but he talks with someone say authority, authority. authority. So Jesus says, there's, you know, a wise man. I preached about this before. There's a wise man, a foolish man. The wise man builds his house on bedrock or solid rock. And when the, when the winds of, of life come, it's, it holds up. You with me? But then there's the foolish man who hears the word but doesn't do it. And that's like a man built on sand. When the winds come, the waves come of life, what happens? It crashes with a mighty crash. And so the first thing I want to bring to your reality this morning is if you're going to build a family, a life that's going to last is you need to understand this key point, okay? You ready? This is the first key point. So if you wanna take notes or take pictures, this is a key point. You need to realize that culture and Christianity are going opposite directions. Amen. Can I say that a little bit louder? You need to realize this morning that the culture we live in, okay? The culture you and I are born into, it's going a different direction than the way the Lord's calling believers to go. You with me? So it's like, a, it's like a, a, an arrow pointing two different ways. The culture's going this way. Jesus is going this way. And here's you and I in the middle, and God leaves us with a choice. He's saying, hey, I've given you words of life, his word, and he's saying when you follow them, you're following towards the way of, someone say life. But when you hear it, and it sounds good, and you're like, man, pastor, great message. Give me knuckles. Give me a hug. Thank you, pastor. And you leave the doors, and you let culture become your norm and your way of life. You're going the opposite direction 
of the way God's called you to go. You with me? So you have to understand this morning, if you're going to be a follower of Christ and build on a solid ground, build your family on a solid foundation, the first thing you have to realize is the culture you live in, the culture you and I are born into. You know, we're right here in the United States of America. Others watching online are in different cultures around the world. The culture we're born into isn't a godly culture. We're living in an era of time where ungodliness is at center stage. You with me? Like I remember David Wilkerson years and years ago when I was just a young kid, he preached about a day where there would be, you would flip through channels and it would be nothing to see naked people and all of these things just naturally. Like you wouldn't even have to pay to see it. It would just be natural and, and people would get just desensitized. And he said, there's a day coming where literally the, the spirit man and a believer will have to be so on guard that if you're not, you'll find yourself walking to death. Think about that for a moment and chew on that. Like literally the culture will become so desensitizing to believers before long, we'll be walking this way thinking we're good and dandy when really we're building on an unsolid foundation. So first and foremost is this Jesus saying, there's a wise man and a foolish man. The foolish man hears the words and says, great teaching, but he doesn't do what it says and ends up following a path that leads to destruction. But there's a wise man who hears the words and the way he lets the spirit of God, that, that's the spirit in this room this morning, the Holy Spirit, lets it penetrate our heart. Someone say my heart. Let's it penetrate our heart and it grips us and we're changed by the word. And because we're changed, we don't just leave church this morning. And when we leave here, we forget. We leave here and we start to say, man, there's things in my life that have to change. What we start doing is we realizing we start going against the flow of culture but walking towards the kingdom of life. And that can be hard for people because when you start walking against the grain of culture, some people have a hard time with that because maybe they care what people think about. And I'm not saying we should walk on an ornery, disregarded way. Listen, I love everyone. I don't care who you are, where you come from. I don't, I don't care where you're living at right now, but I love you enough to realize if you're gonna come to Jesus, when you come the way of the cross, you're giving up your desires in your life for his life. You with me? And when you come to the cross and you turn to Christ and you repent of your sins, you're making this, this complete U-turn going against the grain of sand of the world and saying, Lord, I'm following after you. And that's what the wise man and the foolish man are all about. There's the foolish man who says, great teaching, Lord, but leaves the sermon on the mound and goes his own direction and ends up crashing. But there's the wise man who says, man, this stuff is the word of God. This is literally the breath of God, that pneuma, the Holy Spirit breathing in me. And every word you read, you don't just read it and close the book and go about your day. This word changes how you live at work. This word changes how you raise your kids. This, this word changes how you, and I wanna tell you, it's gonna be drastic to a measure. Well, me and my wife, we had a little Eva. I've shared this many, many times. A lot of things in our home, we realized, hey, we drastically, like, we have to be intentional with what we do, because we have someone looking at everything we do, looking at every little thing. How many of you guys know kids? If you raise kids, your grandparents now, or you currently have little ones at the home, or one day you desire to have one, kids pick up on everything. You with me? I mean, our little girl, I mean, I could say something so small, and I mean, she's, it's, it's crazy how smart kids are. I mean, she's, she's talking in sentences now, and she'll, pick, she'll say a sentence that I said like two weeks ago. And I'll say, where'd you hear that from? And she just kind of looks at me and, you know, kind of smirks a little bit. And I'm like, I guess I must have said that. 
And she just heard it. And her little brain just kind of was processing it a little bit. And then something came up and out this came the phrase that dad said. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? You know what I'm saying? Like you realize they're watching every little thing. They're watching every little thing. And our life is either a reflection of an unfirmed foundation and our kids see it and they see the waves of wind coming and they see a parent that's going crazy and, 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 and always, always bound by all of these things or they see a parent that's built on bedrock, firm foundation. And when the winds come and the waves come crashing, they see someone who doesn't have to be perfect, but they're perfecting like Christ and they see a person who's standing strong no matter what comes. And that's a believer, something you have to strive to understand. Culture's going this way. Christ is going this way. Are you going to be foolish and, 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 and forget the words of Christ when you hear it? Or are you going to obey them and let that be something that your heart says, Lord, I'm in this with you. Amen? So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to take us to the Old Testament. And I'm going to walk you through some things the Lord was really putting in my heart this week as I was praying and just really seeking the Lord for this message. Because as kids get ready to go back to school, um, I just really am praying because we're living in a day and an hour where even what they teach at schools nowadays and public schools, like you have to guard your heart. You have to be intentional with your kids. You have to be intentional. I mean, I, I have a lot, my, my sister is a vice principal at a school, at a public school. And I have many friends who work at the public school system. And so I understand the challenges that are at hand. And if you're not intentional, the culture of this current society can overwhelm you and and, and really just crash your values, and then you start building a value system in the world. You with me? You You can hold on to Christ and be in the world and be an influencer, or you can let the world influence you, and all of a sudden you're no longer influencer, you're just being influenced. You with me? And I pray this morning we raise up a church that's influencing culture. Amen? Amen. So I want to go to Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to keep in mind what we just read. There's a foolish person, a wise person. Foolish man hears the words of Jesus but forgets what what he heard. The wise man hears it and puts it into practice and lives it out, and that person's like someone building on the rock. And I want to take you to an interesting passage of Scripture that literally is probably one of the most saddest portions you'll read And we're going to read it in just a moment, but to get there, I want to set it up. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be starting verse 14. Now, here's what happened to give you some backstory. Moses led the, led the people of out of Egypt. You guys remember that story in Exodus coming out, right? And then, and then the Lord deals with the people and he says, here's, here's the promised land. Go take it. They send out spies into the land and the spies come back. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, hey, this land is, is perfect. Like, there's, there's going to be obstacles, but we, we can take them out. The rest of the spies, the, the, the rest of the spies say, hey, uh, uh, yeah, we can't do it. Let's turn back. And guess what all the crowd went with? Did they go with the two spies who said, hey, we can take the land? Or did they go with the majority that said, yeah, we can't do it? What do you think they did? They went with the majority. So they all started grumbling, complaining, saying, Lord, you let us out here and now we're going to die. And Joshua and Caleb, you know, think about it. They're a big crowd. They're saying, no, no, the Lord's given us the land. Let's go. You can tell they were built on a solid foundation, can't you? They weren't built on the words of just some flimsy person. They were built on what God told them. This is the land. Go take it. But they all listened. So, so God was angered because the people said, Lord, what did you do? You sent us to a land that we're going to die. And God was angered. So he made them live out in the desert, the wilderness, for 40 years till all of that generation, the Bible said, had died. 
And when that generation died, Joshua and Caleb would be the only two left out of that generation who would go into the promised land. You with me? So Joshua and Caleb, after 40 years, Joshua steps up to the plate and Moses says, Joshua, it's your turn. You're going to be the leader of these people. So Joshua crosses over the Jordan River and he takes possession of what is now known as the nation of Israel. Someone say Israel. So Joshua takes the people into the nation of Israel, said God's given us the land, but it's going to come at a cost. We're going to have to fight the enemies in the land. So they start taking them out one by one, Jericho, Ai. They start going through all of these nations, wiping them out. Joshua now, towards the end of the book of Joshua, is an older man. Someone say old man. man. Nothing wrong with that, but Joshua realizes, hey, my my, my time's coming to an end. I'm winding down. You with me? I'm winding down. And so Joshua calls all the people back together. They have taken over the land. There's peace in the land. There's rest. So Joshua calls all the nation of Israel back together. And this man of God who has fearfully led a charge to to get all the the, the nations that were in Israel out of Israel so that they could take over the land and have families and, and harvest and build homes and that could be their land. This is what he says. You want to hear what he says? Kind of his final message to the people. This is what he says. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. He says, so fear the Lord. Someone say fear the Lord. And serve him what? Wholeheartedly. So wholeheartedly would be like the person building on that solid foundation, right? Like it's all or nothing. It's not just half in, half out. It's everything. So Joshua says, serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord what? What? Alone. Not, not when you feel like it. Not if it's, if it's something that sits good with you. Serve him alone. But watch this. This is crazy. He gives the people an ultimatum. Watch this. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then you choose. He's saying you got a choice. You choose today whom you will serve. Will you prefer to serve the gods of your ancestors? They serve beyond the Euphrates River. Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But Joshua says, look. You got a choice to make. I got a choice to make. And he says this to the people. But as for me and my house, what? We're going to serve the Lord. Like he's saying, you can choose. Joshua's saying, I can't force you to serve God. You've seen God's mighty hand. You saw him break down the walls of Jericho. You saw him split open the Jordan River and we crossed through. You've seen God at work. But you have to determine, is he your God? You with me? You can see God at work all day. We can lay hands. Listen, we could call the worst disease forward after service and pray and God could heal him right here. And you could be an eyewitness to it. But an eyewitness won't change you. It's, 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 it, this is the problem with a lot of people. They see things with their natural eyes, but they don't let the God who can do the supernatural transform their life. You with me? They just enjoy being a spectator of God at work, but they don't want him to fully transform their life. Why? Because maybe they're nervous. Maybe the life they live, they say, well, if if I give God my everything, it could change everything. That's what he wants. He wants to change everything because it's the greatest thing you'll ever do is when you fully surrender to the Lord and watch what he can do in your life. There's no greater joy on earth. And so Joshua says, hey, you choose all those gods that you used to serve. Where are they at now? God, the Lord is the one who gave us victory. But you got to choose. Someone say, I got to choose. So Joshua says, you got to choose. But he says for this, he says, you can do whatever you want. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now it goes on. I don't have these verses. I'm going to summarize them because I'm going to take you to the end of this passage. The people of Israel go on to say, no, Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. 
So Joshua says, get rid of all the idols, all the gods, all everything that's an idol to you, get rid of it. I mean, they clean house. Think about it. Joshua's like, man, if you, if you worship a piece of wood and that's an idol, get rid of it. If you're worshiping this, get rid of it. Clean house. Get all the junk out. Why? Because we're going to build on a foundation that's going to last. And so the nation of Israel says, we'll do whatever you say, Joshua. So Joshua gives them direction. They clean house. And Joshua 24 says this, ending in verse 29 through 31. Look what it says. After this, so after what? After Joshua gave that final speech, the people of Israel said, we're all in, Joshua. We're going to serve the Lord. No other gods. This would happen. After this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's a good old age, isn't it? Come on, how many guys want to live to 110? Amen. Lord, let it be. Verse 30, they buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath, Serera, and the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally, someone say personally. Man, if you've got a Bible, you should underline that. Personally experienced all that God had done in Israel. So what happened? Joshua gave them an ultimatum. The people said, yes, we're going to follow the Lord. We've seen what he did. We're all in. We're going to build on a foundation. Because what happened was the nation of Israel, there were still other ungodly nations among them. So it was going to be easy for them to see what other nations were doing and say, hey, I'll dabble with this a little bit. And Joshua knew, hey, you play with that, you're going to end up going a wrong direction. So you got to get rid of it. You got to cut, you got to cut that off and serve the Lord, what? Wholeheartedly. So they did. And all of Joshua's generation served him. The generation after him served him. Why? All those who personally experienced the Lord. But you ready? This is, this is where the sad part comes in. Judges chapter 2. So there's Joshua, and then the next book is Judges. So here's what happened. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 through 15. After that generation, do we have it up there? Yeah, after oh, the next one, uh, Luke, I think it's Josh, or is it Judges. There we go, chapter 2, verse 10. After that, someone say after that. After what? After Joshua died, after that whole generation who had experienced personally what the Lord had done died, watch what happened. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. Someone say, oh no. You know what acknowledge means there if you go back and do a word study of that word? It's reverence. Meaning they knew about a past generation who served the Lord wholeheartedly, but they didn't reverence it in their heart. It didn't become personal to them. It just became something they heard about. Oh, oh didn't, didn't we just read something like that, what Jesus said? Do you remember what we read in Matthew? What did Jesus say? He said, there's a foolish man who hears words, but doesn't what? Listen or do what it says. And what happens to that foolish man? He builds his house on sand. And watch what happens. After that generation grew up, another generation grew up that did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. So what happened? They hear the words. They hear the stories. They see a generation in love with the Lord, but it doesn't become personal. So it becomes just words of them and they start going this way. And that ground that was firm from a generation before them starts to become sand. And watch what happens. They start to serve Baal. They abandon the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. 
They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. Someone say angered. So notice when you start walking this way, you're not, you're not becoming a pleasing incense to the Lord. You're actually making the Lord angry. So they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal in the images of Ashtoreth. Keep going. I got one more slide, I think, on this. I think so. Maybe not. I do. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions he turned them over to their enemies all around them, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, how sad is this? The Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he, had, just as he has warned them, and the people were in great distress. So when you hear the words and don't do it, all of a sudden, you're working against the Lord, and the next thing you know, you become in distress right? A person of overwhelmingness, maybe. Maybe when you check your thoughts and your heart, you're just always overwhelmed. And maybe it's not so much you need to check what, what, what all the things outwardly. You need to check what's the foundation that you're really spiritually standing on. Because a foundation is key. You with me? So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you some things the Lord put in my spirit to help you build on a solid foundation. If you're a parent, these are things I am learning more real now than ever, now that we're raising a little one. And I pray this morning you would take these personally, go back, and if you want to write these down, and I pray these would be things you would really pray through and say, the Lord help you with this. I want to see our church built on a foundation. But here's the thing. It's up to you to do what it says. You with me? I can't go, I can't go home with you today. I can't go into your living room and watch everything you're watching or listen to everything you're listening to. I can't go home and watch you behind the scenes with your kids or, 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 or you with me at the things that happen in the evenings. Only you and the Lord are responsible for those things. You with me? And that's why my job is to be a preacher of the word of God saying, this is what the word says. And if you do it, it's going to be a firm foundation and you and your family are going to thrive. But if you don't do what it says, you're going to be like a man who builds his house on sand and it's going to be slippery. Someone say slippery. All right, so number one, you ready? Things we can learn from this story of Joshua who told the people, you got to decide. And they said, we're choosing the Lord. But then another generation came and said, oh, that's great what God did, but we, we like it over here with all these other people. And they, they ended up working against the Lord. Number one, someone say number one. Number one, if you want to build on a solid foundation, you got to per, put first things first. Someone say first things first. I see this all the time as a pastor of a great church, but I see this a lot, is people say, Pastor, I know the Lord has to be first in my life. I know the Lord has to be my everything. But then here's the problem. He's not their everything. It's just they know. <laughs> I know, Pastor, I know. You know, call them up. Hey, how you been? Oh, Pastor, it's been crazy. You know, what's going on? And I, Pastor, I know I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, but Pastor, I know I need to get there. You can know a lot of things, but not doing them makes you the under person that says, hey, that's kind of foolish, isn't it? It's like someone who has the cure to something and people are dying all over the place. And he says, hey, I know how to fix it. I know how to change it. You can know all day, but until you actually put it to work, it's not doing anything. You with me? So you got to understand, if you're going to put first things first, 
You gotta, if you wanna build on a foundation, if you wanna see your family thrive in the culture we live in, that's an ungodly culture. Come on, if you wanna see your kids thrive at school, if you wanna see your kids become leaders and not followers, if you wanna see your kids thrive in this day and age, the first thing as a parent, the first thing as someone who has influence, you gotta understand, first things first, what's the foundation? Is it Jesus? Is your home an abode where Christ is lifted up? Or is it a place of death and destruction where your kids are constantly being torn down? You're with me. I've been in houses before and I'm in there for five minutes and I'm like, whoa, I don't even like being in this house. You know what I'm saying? You just feel the weight of the house. You're like, man, nothing but anger and strife and bitterness. I want to tell you, we live in a generation right now that is so confused and we wonder why in the world are, are young boys at the age of 10 wanting to be girls or, or why are girls at the age of nine wanting to have a, a hormone change to be a boy. And we say, why have all this thing happened? Here's why. Because we don't have families built on bedrock. They're built on sand and Sam's flimsy. You with me? And when Sam's flim, when, when you're on flimsy foundation, just everything seems okay. And the word of God is the foundation in our life. And if the word of God's the foundation, then when you see culture heading a direction, you don't say, boo you. No, you say yes to the Lord. And Lord, help me in this error. Stand firm on you. You with me? I've seen that. I've been, around, I've been around places and things that have been so ungodly, but you don't have to collapse your values to it. You can stand firm in the midst of it and watch people around you say, whoa, what's different about you? And you say, because I, I know whom the God I serve. And me and my family have decided to serve him and him alone. You with me? And I want to tell you, I want to see a generation not confused what gender they are or who they are. I want, to see a, I want to see a generation built up in Christ on a foundation. You with me? I don't want my daughter one day to grow up and say, who am I? From an early age, every day when we put her to bed and when she goes, she knows who she is. And I don't, I don't tell her when I put her to bed, hey, your daddy's a little gem, and my, you know, those are cute things and I'm important. But you know what we do? We get her in the word. Even at a young age, get the word, get worship on this morning. My daughter, when, when my wife's getting ready, they're at my dad's church because my, um, my little niece is getting um, oh, dedicated today. So they went there to support my sister. Um, so that's why they're not here today. But even this morning, worship music's filling the house and you'll see little Eva. I mean, the sincerest little thing, a child. Her hands are lifted. She's looking at me. And look at this. When she's looking at me, you know what she's looking at? Daddy, not, not, not she's looking for approval. She sees the actions of her dad. You with me? If I'm going to display what it's like, then my prayer is my little girl will see what worshiping God's all about. So here's the principle of putting first things first. You have to understand as a parent, as someone leading a house, even if you're not a parent, if you want to be a parent one day, this is the most important thing you will learn. What you do is deeper and it's caught, not so much taught. Yeah. I want to help explain this. A lot of people use correction in a household, and corrections needed. I believe in correction. But there would be less correction needed if kids, and especially this generation, what they saw matched a lot of the words they heard. You with me? I see a lot of people, they want to teach things that their life doesn't line up to it. You with me? And I want to tell you, that's the saddest thing because kids catch on to every little thing we do. They catch on. If our words don't match our actions, we're being a hypocrite to our children. And then we wonder, why do they act out? Why are they like this? I remember I was talking to a parent the one day and it was like, they don't attend this church. They, the, um, anyway, 
They don't attend this church. Just want to make that clear. But anyway, they were sharing frustrations they were having. They were sharing concerns and they were just angered and irritated with some of the actions their kids were making. And I remember just as we were talking with them, you could realize the frustration wasn't in what they were teaching. It's because their actions didn't line up with what they were teaching. You with me? And the frustration, and what I said to them, I said, why don't you start living out some of the values you're proclaiming with your mouth? And I said, watch your child pick up on it. I said, when you scream and get angry and, sh and show bitter anger emotions at such a high end so much, guess what your kids see? Oh, dad's always mad and angry and throwing stuff and screaming and stuff goes flying around the house. You know what I'm saying? And that's actually, many of you guys know I'm a second generation Christian. My parents... Um, they changed the course of their life. You know, my parents both grew up in non-Christian homes and they both, you know, the powerful testimonies of how God brought them. But my mom's household, you know, was, was very divided, very filled with anger and rage. My grandfather was a raving alcoholic and um, I mean, very, very much filled with greed. And he's in heaven now. God, he radically had a transformation. But there had to come a moment where she had to make a decision because when you see something all your life, it could become hurtful and, and angered and, and things start welling up. But one day she snuck out of her house, her friend invited her to church service and if her parents would have known she was going to church, they would have got mad and angry. And um, you know, many of you guys know my story. My mom had battled lung disease all of her life. And so she snuck out, went to church service that night and that night she gave her heart to the Lord. And then she came back to a house that was still filled the same thing. But the Lord started to teach her that Rhonda, there's gonna be some things that you won't be able to teach your family. They're gonna see it. You with me? They're going to see it. And here's what happened over the years. This woman who was radically changed in a moment from building her life on sand, now she had a firm foundation. The next thing you know, her mom got interested in what was going on. Why are you so different, Rhonda? Like, like what's so different? And it's not so much what she's talking, it's how she's living. You with me? Actions speak loud. And now her mom sneaks out one night, follows her to a little church, and she gets saved. You with me? Then my uncle started to get saved. Then my grandfather gets saved. And it just, it's like a domino effect. Why? Because some things you can teach all day. But Jesus said the wise man is led by the actions of what he hears. You with me? The wise man remembers what he hears and he puts them in the practice. If you're going to be a parent in this day and hour in this culture, there's going to be some things your kids will only pick up on as they're seeing you do it. You with me? I remember at a young age, um, we were in Lansing, Michigan, and I was probably th three, four at the time, and we had a drum set just like this in the sanctuary, and there was a really good drummer we had at our church. My dad was the pastor. We had a great worship team. We had, I mean, this drummer was phenomenal, and I don't just say it to say, like, he was good. Like, he literally was. He was like a professional drummer. He played out in gigs and stuff, gave his heart to the Lord, powerful testimony. So anyway, what I would do was I became interested in drums, and I'm not a great drummer, but but he was phenomenal. And what I started doing was I would sit, there was kind of similar to this, like a little, a little two-step thing here. They would have early morning practice, okay? They would get to church early and the whole worship team would practice. I would get there early. I would go with my dad because I was just so intrigued with drums at the time and I couldn't play worth a lick. My dad got me like a little tin can with a little cymbal and it sounded horrible. I'm just hitting stuff and you know what I'm saying? My parents endured it. It was bad. We have like home videos. It sounded horrible, okay? But I would go and just sit there and watch him. And over time, every Sunday, my dad would get up real early to head to the church. I would be up and ready, and I would go. And my whole purpose in going was just I wanted to sit there and just watch. And after watching for a while, guess what started to happen? 
you start to catch little things. Hey, I noticed this. And you'd go home. And it's interesting because we have some home videos. And I, and I see through like the, the first couple years before we moved to Baltimore, like the terrible clanging that those first couple videos show that is just horrible. After a while, you start to hear some rhythm. And you're like, wow, that sounds pretty decent. And I remember by five years old, um, I got my first drum set. And it, my uncle got it for me and I'm in his room. And I'm a little nervous and shy. But like from what I was seeing all those years, you with me? I was catching, and next thing you know, your mind is pretty good at starting to throw something. Now, some people don't have rhythm, and that's okay. You have other giftings. Use those giftings. But I want to tell you this. There are some things God's put in us that we can catch. And as a leader, you either are setting the temperature in the environment you're in, or you're being influenced by the environment you're in. You with me? So you have to put, someone say, first things first first things first. Are you going to be a doer of the word or just a listener? Oh, that sounds great, pastor. And then you go out here and your house is filled with anger and rage and, and, and your life is filled with confusion and, and your kids don't know who they are because there's not a solid foundation. Come on. We need, we need a generation walking into this school year knowing who they are. I'll wrap up with this for this first point and I'm going to breeze through these final couple. There was a young girl at Columbine High School. This happened back in 1990, something like that, 90, maybe a little bit before then, in the early 80s. A young girl loved the Lord, and she went to a public high school in Columbine, Columbine High School. She had a Bible she would carry with her every day to school. During lunchtime, she would sit by herself, open up the Bible, and read it, and eat her lunch. And... Over the past, you know, course of time, students would be interested in what she was reading. They would come over, and through that lunchtime, she started herself a little Bible study in Columbine High School. And at Columbine High School, you know, it, it was a secular high school, so there's many teachings. It actually was, you know, it was back in the day, so there was different things that they've expelled out of school now. But long story short, she's still reading, you know, reading the Word, and students are coming up during lunchtime and asking her questions. Well, finally, one day... Two guys walk into Columbine High School. You might have known the story. They walk in fully loaded, and they begin to shoot people all in that high school. It's a, one of the most horrific shootings in our, in our history of a, of, a, of a shooting. And one of those people that got shot was this girl. And those two boys saw her for, you know, the couple years she was there while they were there. And they saw her during lunchtime reading the Bible. Saw her having, you know, a crowd coming over to teach the word. And the question they asked her as they said, do you really believe what you teach? They said, just, just make fun of it, you know, mock it. And, you know, she was holding her Bible, and um, a couple of students said they even said, you know, just spit on the Bible. And, and they're pointing a gun at her while they're getting ready to walk into school because she was there outside. They said, just spit on the Bible and denounce it. And, you know, none of that stuff's real. And she said, and while holding her Bible tight to her chest, you know, this is mine. And they shot her. And here's what's interesting. A few of the other students who were around her in that Bible study asked the same question. And it's interesting that, and it's sad, but they ended up dying too, but they were given the same choice. Now, if one girl wasn't there willing to be an example, would those kids, you with me? Are you following where I'm going with that? These kids were, 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 were catching something from a young girl who ended up giving her life for what she believed in. 
and others around her gravitated toward her and it became personal to them. You with me? That's what the gospel will do. It will transform your life and next thing you know, it starts transforming others. Number two, begin with the end in mind. If you're gonna build on a foundation, no one builds a house and just starts to throw plans together and said, ah, it'll work, we'll figure it out. You with me? The first thing is when you build a house, you begin with the end in mind. What do I mean by that? Well, the house is laid out. They know exactly where things are going. If they want to move stuff around, they can move it. You know what I'm saying? If the house is already built and you walk into it and you said, no, we wanted the kitchen over here. Guess what? It's a little too late for that. You with me? It's done. It's, the plumbing's already plumbed. Can't move kitchen back here. That's where the bedroom is. It's, it's done. You have to, as a person who wants to build on a foundation, begin with the end in mind. Who, as a believer, God's called you. Do you know who he's called you to be? This is what Proverbs says. You need to get this. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Did you catch that? Where there is no what? Vision. The people, what's vision? Vision is seeing something further than where you're currently at. It's seeing something. The believers of God have to have vision. You got to have vision for your life. You know, one of the things I've been praying lately is even over, you know, our little daughter and even all of our kids to come one day is I pray that God would give me vision to see really who in the giftings and talents and God would help me nurture them at a young age. That's a big, bold prayer because you're carrying a lot of responsibility there. And you know, that's what the Father God wants to do with you. He knows how he made you. He knows how he wired you. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to fill you with kingdom vision as a believer. You know where you're going. You aren't turned and tossed by the winds of this world, but actually you have vision. Notice when you don't have vision, what happens? You're unrestrained. You're like someone built on sand. Whoa, whoa, you know what I'm saying? How can we preach a gospel that's good for all seasons of life and most people are like, whoa, and they see a church like that and they're like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that. You know what I'm saying? But when you actually walk out and believe and it becomes personal to you and you start to understand, man, this thing, I'm I'm not just in it for the moment, but I'm, I'm heading to a kingdom that's unshakable. You with me? When you give your life to the Lord, you're signing up for eternity in heaven. And you're, you're saying, Lord, my life is in your hands. Someone say his hands. And when you understand and you begin with the end in mind, and here's my end in mind. You want to know? Someone say, Pastor, what is it? I'm responsible for you as a church, but first and foremost, I'm responsible for my family. You with me? God's entitled me to my family as, as a spiritual head house. And this is a covenant I've made with the Lord is, I want to see everyone in my family in heaven. That's the end goal. You with me? Now, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the reality goal? We're here on planet Earth. <laughs> We're not in heaven yet. So that means me and my wife have choices to make, spiritually, personally, in marriage. Then we have choices to make concerning our children. You follow where I'm going? And all of this will be a domino effect. And one day when I get before heaven... I want to stand there rejoicing because it's not just me and my wife or just me. And I'm like, yes, I made it. I want to see my family entirely there. Amen. Amen. So as that vision is, I live in a way that will do everything in my power with the Lord's help to make that possible for my family. You with me? How I lead my personal life, how I start my day how our home is, is, is nurtured and cared for. 
It starts from me. And it starts how I love my wife. Does my daughter see a, a man who loves his wife or someone who just uses his wife to, to get gains for himself? You with me? Like, you gotta understand, you live in a culture right now that's self-seeking. And it's easy to be a self-consumer. We just sit down and we're consumed with self. The kingdom of God is not about self. You die to self. Someone say, I'm dead. I'm dead. When you give your heart to the Lord, you're dead. <laughs> you a dead man, a dead woman. It's no longer you. It's Christ that lives in you. And so how you nurture, if you're married today or you want to be married, how are you living in a way that shows that you're dead <laughs> and that Christ is living within you? You know, that was the biggest, um, the biggest attraction to my wife was all the amazing gifts and talents and how beautiful and lovely she is. All of that naturally, oh, amazing. But you know the greatest thing I saw in her is someone who knew how to be with the Lord. And it was so attractive. A woman who when everyone left the chapel, there she is weeping and crying out to the Lord. You with me? You got to understand and know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, you're just going to go around in circles and find people who are going around in circles. You with me? Like how, how many guys, maybe you have, you're, you're in a community right now of your, your circle is just going like this. This is fun, isn't it? No, it's not fun. It's insanity. Stop it. Begin with the end in mind. Lord, you've called me to heaven. And heaven is my reward. So Lord, let me live a life right now that's getting me where I ultimately want to go. You with me? Amen? Last, last, last one. I'm going to end with this one. Number three, be proactive. If you're going to build on a foundation, if you're going to build a home, that's going to be lasting when the winds and waves of life come. Because I want to tell you, when you set out today to build a life, a family on Christ, you're setting up to go against really where culture's going. You with me? So things are going to be against you. But that's okay. But you can be proactive. Meaning this. The way, the way our home is structured isn't just going to pop naturally into place how it should be. You have to work at it. You with me? You got to work at it. You have to work at it. You get where I'm going? You got you to be intentional. Someone say intentional. You got to be proactive. So here's what I see a lot of. Is I see a lot of people striving to change a lot of things that they really don't have influence to change. But I see them not changing in places they do have influence to change. Okay, can I say that one more time? A lot of people can talk about a lot of things and try to influence things that they probably will never influence to change. But when it comes to things they have influence to change, they don't influence it to change. They just leave it. So you have to be proactive. And here's what I mean by proactive. Focus and act on what you can control and influence instead of what you can't. You with me? I maybe can't control one day when Eva goes to school, how the culture is at that school, but I, could, I can control how my daughter is when she walks into that school. You with me? Like there are things God's given you and I influence over. 
And, and a lot of people are worried about, oh, no, oh, no, the world's a mess. It's out of control. Yes, it is. And it will be like that. And it will get worse as the day of the Lord approaches. So don't worry about some things that are out of your control. Focus on the things that you can control. And when you focus on them, you'll notice you're influencing in a godly way. You're influencing. Maybe you're even changing a generation and you don't even realize it because the children you're raising are going to be influencers because of the parents that are pouring into them. You with me this morning? Amen? So be proactive. If you want things to change, it's not just going to change because you say it. It's going to change because you take up and do it. You with me? Jesus said there was a wise man and he built this house on rock. And when the winds and the waves came, his house still stand. But there was a foolish man who what? Built his house on sand. And the same winds and waves came. And that dude went crashing down. In the Old Testament, there was a generation who decided we're serving the Lord and him alone. We're getting rid of all the junk, everything. Amen. But there was another generation that didn't make it personal. They heard it, but they didn't become what? personal. So they ended up building on a sloppy foundation and the Lord burned with anger. This morning, I want to ask you as we conclude our time together, are you willing to make a commitment as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, listen, I don't want it to be words you say. I want it to be a fear of the Lord that you take into your heart, that when you leave this place, you're committing to it. You with me? It's Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to build my life. If you're single this morning, Lord, as for me, I'm serving the Lord. And that means you're going to be careful what influences your life. You with me? You're going to focus on the things that you can control. Yes, there's things that you can't control, but the Lord's given you, you guys a lot more influence than you realized. If you're a parent in the room, you're saying, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to focus and be an influencer in my family. As for me and my family, we will serve what? The Lord. And I want to just point this out and I'm going to pray for you. Notice how the winds and waves first didn't come. First they built on something, right? And then the winds and waves came. So that's what's going to happen today. You're going to make a decision and then guess what's going to happen? That decision's going to get tested. And when that decision's tested you'll see what you're built on. Amen? And I pray this morning when you make that decision, you'll leave here and you'll be built on bedrock. And though the enemy may try to come against you with every turn, you'll be like a person with strong vision that says, I know where me and my family are going. I shared this before. One of the great hymns that was ever written it's called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Anyone know the hymn? I'm not going to sing it because I would make it sound really bad. <laughs> and you would never want to hear it again. But the guy who wrote that song was actually a missionary. And he was missionary to a village tribe that had never heard the Lord. And he influenced that tribe so much by the, by the God he so loved that that tribe ended up giving their lives to the Lord. An invading tribe heard about this great revival that was taking place. They invaded the tribe 
And they said, we don't like what you guys are doing. This God you say you serve. And so they begin to kill the tribe. And they pulled out the missionary and his wife and their three kids. And with, with you know, guns pointed at them. I don't even think it was guns. I think it was just, you know, swords basically just put at their heads. The, the leader of the, the tribe who had came in, who had started slaughtering this tribe said, missionary, renounce the faith and show this tribe your God is not a God. And I'll let the rest live and your family will be spared. And the missionary said, I have decided to what? Follow Jesus. No turning back. And they started with his youngest child and they began to kill each one. They got to his wife and said, missionary, you lost three kids. Are you sure? Like you can spare your wife. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And they killed his wife. And lastly, they said, missionary, you can spare your life. While there, his family lays dead. And he said the most famous words of that hymn that says, though none go with me. Still what? I will follow. It's a decision you make before you're tested that proves what you're on. You with me? You aren't going to be tested in church this morning. When you leave here, that's when the testing will come. And it will prove you're either a doer of the word or just a hearer. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? I want to pray for all of you. And then if you got to go, you're free to go.